Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Recently, I got a voicemail from somebody who was breathing so heavily, I could hardly tell who it was. Hola, Sasha. Déjame decirte que nada más di positivo al coronavirus, al COVID-19. Estoy en el hospital de Tijuana. I felt my stomach drop when I heard the voice in Spanish, lungs fighting the coronavirus. It was someone whose story I'd been following for almost two years. Someone whose life I couldn't imagine could get any harder. Now sick with COVID in the ICU. 26 years old, HIV positive, in and out of ICE detention. Her name is Luna Guzman, and she was calling me to thank me for following her all this time traveling to a migrant shelter in Tijuana, to an ICE detention center in San Diego, and a tiny drag bar in Modesto. She said if she dies from COVID, she hopes people will remember a little bit about her. I'm Sasha Coca. Today on The California Report magazine, we devote our whole show to Luna's story. And just a warning, this piece contains descriptions of sexual violence. When she turned 15, like so many girls in her town in Guatemala, Luna Guzman celebrated with a quinceañera. My friend lent me the dress because she saw the way I used to cry every time I'd pass the dress shop on the way to school. With all of those beautiful dresses, I would just press my hand up against the glass and stare at them for a long time. The dress she borrowed was turquoise with a long skirt. She took off her tennis and put on heels and a tiara. She and her friends, girls she'd known since kindergarten, listened to the classic song Quinceañera by Thalia. The lyrics are all about growing up, changing into a woman, your body changing, your dreams changing. We had a cake, two or three bottles of champagne. I had chambelanes. Boys who dressed up in suits to escort her into the party. 
But no one was there from Luna's family. It was a secret party at a friend's house whose parents were away. Back at Luna's own house, there were no dresses or crowns for her birthday. It, it was just a cake and candles. And get this, the balloons, they were condoms. A joke from her mom about Luna having safe sex. And that, Luna says, was her coming of age as a young woman. A 15-year-old whose mother loved her as a son, totally accepted her as a gay son, but couldn't fathom her as a girl. Those moments, putting on the turquoise dress, the heels, the tiara, still linger in Luna's memory as a time she truly felt delight and freedom. Something to be savored again and again as the next decade began to unfold. Even as she put back on her soccer jerseys and tried to look like the boy she knew she wasn't inside. Even as she dealt with brutal violence. And even as she decided to take a terrible risk and leave everything behind in Guatemala to try to find a life in California. The one place in the world where she can imagine being safe. Being herself. Her story says a lot about how U.S. immigration policy fails when it comes to recognizing people who live outside the gender binary. How this country's epic backlog of asylum cases can add to their trauma. About the tenacity it takes to try to come to California from Central America if you're transgender. Luna grew up on the outskirts of a small city in central Guatemala, in a house cobbled together from sticks and newspaper. They cooked over an open fire on the dirt floor. Her mom sold french fries from a cart, and Luna helped care for her three siblings, including a brother who had developmental disabilities. Her dad wasn't in the picture. She was a voracious reader, spent hours in the town library, played with other girls in a secret treehouse. At school, they would play dress up. Luna would transform into a butterfly, her wings made from pieces of cardboard she'd scavenged on the street. La maestra siempre la con mi mamá. Le decía, Oye, ¿por qué puedes... The teacher would always ask my mom, listen, can't you change your son? Can you take him to a psychologist? A psychiatrist? It's making my school look bad. By the way, that voice you're hearing in English is Zoe Luna. No relation. She's a pioneering trans actress, and we've asked her to do the voiceover in English for Luna's story. Luna says everyone in her town knew she was different, an openly gay kid who referred to herself in the feminine in Spanish. Over the years, she says, neighbors harassed her repeatedly. Some women started throwing rocks at me. I was walking down this narrow street and they wouldn't let me go by because they said I was a bad example for their kids. Some of the women threw water at me. Water with bleach. And one day, when Luna was 13, just on the cusp of adolescence, she says she was raped by an older man who was a neighbor. I would ask, why me? If anyone is up there, explain it to me. Why me? But I never got an answer. Still haven't gotten an answer to this day. Thank you.
sex trafficking is rampant in Guatemala. The UN has denounced the shocking number of children forced into sex trafficking rings because of poverty, and Luna became one of them. Some powerful men in her town forced her into prostitution. The clients were older men who Luna says would pay hundreds of U.S. dollars to sleep with young boys and transgender girls. I made them a lot of money. They forced me to use drugs, drugs they would sell to my clients. Guys so much older than me. The traffickers had connections with police, Luna says, so there was nowhere she could complain. Then, when she was 16, she says... She found out she was HIV positive, and she remembers the harassment from her neighbors getting worse. Once, she remembers some of them beat her up so badly, they broke her collarbone, telling her they wanted her to behave like a real man. My town is so small, and there was no information about sexual orientation or HIV. No information about anything. It's so close-minded. When she turned 19, she says she was still being forced into sex work sometimes. But she started to take some small steps to wrest back control of her life. She signed up to become a volunteer firefighter, went through the training course, saved money for the uniform. She felt so powerful rescuing people from car accidents, closing down burning buildings. But then she says the other firefighters found out she was HIV positive, and kept taunting her with homophobic slurs. I dreamed about coming to California, to San Francisco. She'd seen videos online of San Francisco's massive pride parade. She knew California was a place she couldn't be fired or evicted for being transgender, where she would have the legal right to get an ID in the name she wants to use, or use the restroom that matches her gender identity. To follow my dreams, not so much to get ahead financially, but just to make enough money to pay for my transition, to flee the life I lived in Guatemala. So one day about four years ago, she decided to leave her town, leave her family, the fire department, the neighbors, the pimps. She was 22 years old. Luna shows me pictures from the journey of her sitting on top of that famous train, La Bestia, that migrants take north. It's easy to pick her out. She's slight with the same gap-toothed smile and mischievous glint in her eye. She didn't wear women's clothes on the journey, but as she's done for most of her life, she kept her hair short and wore men's t-shirts and shorts for safety. Presenting as a man didn't always protect her. When Luna made it to Tijuana, it was August of 2017. Back then, she could just walk up to the border crossing and ask for asylum. She told an officer she feared homophobic violence. But Border Patrol officials didn't check the boxes on her intake form, saying she identified as LGBT. And that's where things started to go wrong for her. ICE put her in the Otay Mesa Detention Center near San Diego, gave her a bed in a crowded men's unit. Ten days after being taken into custody, an asylum officer vetted her story and found her credible, 
she told the officer she was gay, HIV positive, and was afraid she would be harmed in Guatemala because she sometimes dressed as a woman. A few weeks later, a trans-Latina organization sent a letter of support for her to the immigration court. But Luna was never moved to a special detention unit for trans women. Back in 2015, ICE and the Department of Homeland Security had agreed to improve standards for people who are transgender and give them access to a separate unit. If she had partnered with a skilled asylum lawyer, we would be having a really different conversation right now about her. That's Allegra Love. She's an attorney with the Santa Fe Dreamers Project, which has represented hundreds of transgender women in detention. She was never Luna's lawyer, but I reached out to her to ask whether Luna's experience with detention officials was typical. If someone expresses to them, hey, look, I am trans, I have gender dysphoria, I am not the gender you think I am, then the government has this responsibility acknowledged by their own hand to take that seriously and protect people from heightened danger. But Luna would spend months in the men's unit before her asylum case would be fully heard in front of a judge, inside the immigration court, right in the detention center. Good morning, this is immigration judge Olga Atia sitting in the immigration court in Otay Mesa, California. Day 50 in detention. Luna has an interpreter, but no lawyer. First, you have the right to be represented by an attorney or a qualified representative of your own choosing at no expense to the government. If you didn't catch that, the judge is saying that if Luna wants an attorney, she has to find one and pay for one herself. I want to look for an attorney. Day 90 in detention. Luna tells the judge she can't afford her own lawyer, and she's had no luck finding a pro bono one after sending letters to lots of organizations. She has no resources, no network to plug into, and very little understanding of U.S. immigration law, which is about as complicated as tax law. Yes, Your Honor, I am ready to proceed and speak on my behalf. Luna wants to know how long she'll be detained. She reminds the judge she's HIV positive. Yes, and I ask this because I worry sometimes that I don't get my medication here to control the chronic disease that I that I have. Unfortunately, I don't have jurisdiction over such matters. Day 156 in detention. Luna finally gets a chance to officially submit her asylum application. You can hear the judge stamp it. There you go, sir. And tell her it looks complete, all questions answered. But then the judge tells her there are no available appointments to hear the merits of her case for another five months. The court's that backlogged. Day 182 in detention. After nearly six months, the judge says Luna can be released on a bond of $4,500. But like many asylum seekers, she has no one to help pay that kind of money. Luna pleads with the judge, telling her being locked up is harming her psychologically. Day 226 in detention. Luna does something she never expected to do. She gives up on her asylum case and asks to be deported right away. 
Voy a cumplir ocho meses de estar deten detenida aquí en el centro de detención. So then it's going to be about eight months that I've been detained here at the detention center. Y me siento sola, me siento... Um, no, no tengo palabras para explicárselo, señor juez. And I feel alone and I do not have the words to explain to you, your honor. Uh, I apologize, Your Honor, the interpreter would like to mention. Here, the interpreter takes a pause. She's confused. She thinks Luna's a man because of her appearance and her legal name. But Luna's referring to herself in the feminine, in Spanish. The judge asks for clarification, still calling Luna sir. So, sir, you prefer to be referred to as she or he, please? Exactamente, su señoría. Exactly, Your Honor. Do you want a private hearing? Luna may be presenting as a man to protect herself while in detention, but she's clearly indicated in her asylum application that she fears homophobic and transphobic violence. It's only now that the judge seems to clue into the fact that Luna hasn't been totally comfortable expressing her gender identity in front of a courtroom full of other detainees. Still, the judge can't seem to stop calling her sir. Now you've indicated to the court, sir, that you no longer are interested in pursuing your application for asylum. Is that correct? That's correct, Your Honor. Luna says yes, but you can hear her voice cracking. There's no way to win. She's either got to stay locked up in the men's facility or give up her only ticket to be able to stay in the U.S. On the plane ICE chartered back to Guatemala, Luna says she had a panic attack, shaking so badly she could barely walk out onto the tarmac when they landed in Guatemala City. As soon as she could, she got back on buses and trains to begin the long journey north towards California again. I meet Luna several months later on a trip to Tijuana at a migrant shelter called Casa del Migrante. I'm reporting on the migrant caravans at the border, and I interview so many Central American asylum seekers. But something about Luna strikes me. Maybe it's her persistence when she talks about coming to California. The way she can see a future where she can fully transition to become the woman she knows she is inside. I'm a transgender woman. I'm not going to live my life dressed as a boy. No. No, no, no. No, one day, I want everyone who knows me to say, Luna made it. She fought for her dreams. And they came true. In this field, you meet a lot of people um, that are really bitter and really angry at everybody. I mean, it's, it's really understandable. One of the attorneys at this shelter, Cristina Reyes, tells me that of the hundreds of migrants who've come through, Luna stands out. There's these people that really stick out because they, they had these horrible things happen to them and they are still really positive. And I think that's the thing about Luna, that she has this positive energy. But even though she's been hurt many times in the past, she's still like really open to connect emotionally with other people. Luna and I keep in touch over the next few months. She scrapes together enough money for a cell phone, and we trade voice messages over WhatsApp 
Ok, muy bien, porque no me hablas cuando tengas chance, pero si me puedes dejar un recado de voz o... She tells me she knows her dream of coming to California is probably over because she gave up her asylum case and was deported. But then, a few weeks later, she sends me a video. She's someplace windy, a path in the desert, and I can see the border wall far behind her. Look, she exclaims, I crossed. I'll see you in San Francisco by the Golden Gate Bridge for a coffee. After that, my WhatsApp feed goes quiet for weeks. Then, one night, about six months after I started following Luna's story, I get a collect call from a detention center. Press 1 to accept the call. Luna. Hola, ¿cómo estás? Hola, ¿cómo estás? Luna is back at Otay Mesa, the detention center just east of San Diego, in the same cell, in the same bed where she had stayed the year before. After Luna's been in her second stint in detention for about six weeks, ICE grants me permission to interview her. In the waiting room, a guard sits behind a gray metal desk. A sign above his head reads, Hope is the anchor for the soul. Be grateful. After an hour, another guard leads me to a tiny room where Luna is waiting. The word detainee, emblazoned in white letters on the back of her blue uniform. She looks gaunt and exhausted, but her eyes are still bright. She says the sexual harassment here has been a nightmare. Hay personas que nos tocan el trasero, que nos people here, las boobies, they touch your butt, que your nos breasts, cuando nos estamos bañando. They look at you when you're taking a shower. Que quieren, eh, que they no, flash que us. I, I don't want to be here anymore. Yo no estar más I know if I complain, si they won't listen to me. Yo sé que si yo meto un request, no me van a hacer caso. Yo sé que si meto esto, yo, yo sé que no me van a hacer caso. Luna tells me she can't afford to buy shampoo or soap or chocolate bars in the commissary. She says other inmates have offered to buy them for her in exchange for sexual favors. Al menos yo no voy a hacer algo que no me que no me guste por una sopa que vale 60 centavos de dólar. I'm not going to do something I don't want to do for a cup of soup that costs 60 cents or some chocolate or a packet of oatmeal that costs 30 cents. I'm, I'm not going to have sex with anyone here. Yo no voy a tener sexo con nadie acá. Aunque así me digan, te vamos a esto. discrimination on the outside. But here, it's a different world. It's worse. Porque acá es otro mundo. Como te digo, acá es un mundo. It's a world where discrimination and homophobia and harassment are huge. It's way worse than on the outside because you have nowhere to go and get away from it. You're trapped. Peor que allá afuera. ¿Por qué? Porque acá no tienes para dónde ir. Acá está todo cerrado. What Luna's telling me resonates with a study showing that LGBT migrants are nearly a hundred times more likely to be sexually victimized in detention. Luna says she's spending a lot of her time trying to stay away from people, mostly sleeping, sometimes dreaming that she's in California, really in California. Estaba soñando que yo ya había salido, que yo estaba fuera, o sea, estaba fuera de acá. 
me desperté y luego me, me era una pesadilla como I was dreaming that I had gotten out then I woke up and saw these four walls and I was awake living a nightmare Luna says the clink of handcuffs the crackle of the guards walkie talkies has come to haunt her dreams listen you hear that? That sound, all the time, day and night. I'm traumatized from hearing it. The sound of the keys. Hear it? All the time. Even in your dreams. You think they're coming for you, to handcuff you. The sound of the keys, the sound of the doors. Donde quiera que tú estés, escuchas el ruido de las puertas. I can't take it anymore. Her second time in detention, she's only there a couple months. ICE plans to deport her as soon as possible. She crossed without papers after being deported once already. Again, she has no lawyer to advise her what to do. No one to tell her about an alternative to asylum, something called withholding of removal, that she still may have been eligible for. A number of transgender women have won their cases through that process. An official with a megaphone stands in the Guatemala City Airport greeting deportees, almost all young men, with a warm welcome, plus a sandwich and an orange soda. Luna gets off the ice-chartered plane. She counts out four U.S. dollar bills from a plastic bag marked personal property. It's money she says she earned working in the laundry at the detention center. Outside the airport, anxious-looking mothers and grandmothers hug their loved ones. There's no one waiting for Luna. Just the Guatemala-based video crew I hired to capture her arrival. People are swarming the deportees, offering to change dollars to quetzales. Luna looks around, dazed and exhausted. Her jaw starts twitching. She brushes her hand over her face as if to make it all go away. And she gets in a taxi, which takes her to an LGBT organization in Guatemala City that helps deportees. After hearing her story, an intake worker tells Luna it's unsafe for her to stay in Guatemala. He doesn't need to remind her about the trans women who've been murdered recently after being deported back to Central America. The best thing to do, he tells her, is to arrange for her to go to a safe house in a secret location where she'll always have someone guarding her. He's worried the traffickers she worked for might have connections in Guatemala City and could track her down. But Luna decides to leave the safe house after just one night. 
she refuses to feel locked up again. And she wants to get out of Guatemala and try once again to make it to California as fast as she can. And she's found a way to do it with some money wired to her from an unexpected source of help. It's a Friday night at the Brave Bull, one of the oldest gay bars in California. It's not in San Francisco or L.A., but Modesto. A huge, old-fashioned disco ball twirls above a trio of drag performers in cowboy hats, a guy strumming a guitar, and two very glamorous gals in high-heeled boots lip-syncing to Ana Barbara's song. Buscando un corazón. I'm looking for a heart. It's a song these drag performers are dedicating to Luna. Thank you to everyone who comes out to support every time we perform. And a huge shout out to a friend of ours, um, Luna, who is a trans woman who has been deported. And we have been trying to show her so much love all the way from California. Thank you, everyone. This surprising crew rooting for Luna is led by a kind of fairy godmother. Miss Dame Amor. Yeah, and my drag mom's name is Miss Moan a lot more. And a fairy godfather, Tony Rodriguez. <laughs> so is Tony like your drag stepbrother? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, have, I also have a drag name. Just in case. <laughs> just in case, it Tony's has, here. It has like a ring to it, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Just in case. These two first heard about Luna when I reported a short part of her story from Tijuana for the California Report back in 2018. Tony's a former truck driver who came to Modesto looking for his own California dream, a place where he could transition. I originally come from the Bronx, and uh, I come from a Puerto Rican family. I mean, back when... Um, I was uh, identifying as a lesbian. It wasn't a good thing. I mean, it was it was pretty terrible. I got kicked out of my house. I had to live out of the trunk of my car. My mother uh, was so angry that she actually tried to yell out my uh, sexual orientation so that people in the neighborhood could hear it so I could have an even worse time. But it was California where I had set my sights because this is where I knew I could really be the person that I wanted to be. It turns out that for me, it worked out great. I had great support from my coworkers. I had great support from my friends. Then I hear about Luna and I'm like, well, I, I had it okay. So, you know, why not help somebody else so maybe their transition and their journey could be a little bit easier. Tony sent Luna $80 after she got deported, money that helped her make her way back to Mexico. I mean, I couldn't even imagine Luna's situation. I couldn't imagine, like, not having any kind of way to be myself. I don't know. I mean, it takes, like, immense strength to try to um, wake up every morning on your own and, and try to make your own community and, and, and try to live your dreams. Usually, Luna can find that strength, and she's pretty tenacious when she does. But sometimes, she cracks.
It's spring 2019 now, and Luna leaves me a voicemail saying she's made her third journey north to Tapachula in Chiapas, just across the border from Guatemala. She applies to get a humanitarian visa from the Mexican government to allow her to stay there, at least temporarily, and she finds a job making tortillas in a restaurant. Then, a few weeks later, she sends me pictures of an IV in her hand. She's in the hospital with a kidney infection. After she's released, she's still weak, but she tells me she's feeling safe enough to try to dress as a woman again. She meets up with some new friends who are also transgender for dinner at a cafe. Then she calls me at 6 the next morning. ¿Cómo estás? Me siento mal, Sasha. ¿Qué pasó? Anoche, anoche unos vatos abusaron sexualmente de mí. She tells me she was the last one waiting for a taxi after her friends left the cafe. Then a car pulled up. She says five armed men abducted her, took her to a remote area, and raped and beat her, kicking her in the kidneys, where she's still recovering from the infection. Why do I have to suffer so much? Why is life so unfair? She says she sometimes thinks she'd rather just not live anymore than to have to go through any more pain. Every time I try to show who I really am, why does it go wrong? I needed to talk to you, to someone who would understand. I urge her to go to the hospital to tell the police. But she tells me, just like in Guatemala, the Mexican police in Chiapas would probably do nothing, just laugh at her and say homophobic things. I haven't been able to confirm Luna was raped because she didn't report it to anybody. And this is part of the paradox for asylum seekers. They're expected to document and prove all the horrible things that have happened to them, when sometimes, in fact, the act of reporting these abuses could put them in more danger. Of course, as a journalist, I've done my best to vet her story. KQED, where we produced the California report, even had to sue the Department of Homeland Security to get her records released from ICE, which we finally did after almost a year. But when it comes to what happened to Luna in Guatemala or Mexico, there's no way to actually prove she was sex trafficked or assaulted. She's been in transit so long, living on the street and in shelters, that she doesn't have much documentation of her life. But her story is consistent with what others who know her have told me about her, and much of it is echoed in her asylum application and in her health records. It's fall 2019 now, and Luna finally gets some good news. She got the humanitarian visa to stay in Mexico, at least for a year. And the Mexican government has helped her find a bed in a new safe house for LGBT refugees back in Tijuana. It's called Casa Arcoiris, or Rainbow House. I can't visit her there, though, because they want to keep the location secret. So we meet at the section of border fence where she crossed the last time she tried to come to California. She points to squirrels and dragonflies flitting between the slats of the fence, between countries, without even knowing it. 
Hay yarditas que miro yo que cruzan y van y vienen. Look at the squirrels coming and going and that cat. It just crossed the border through the gaps in the fence and then slipped back into Mexico. It's only we humans who don't have that freedom. She takes a rock and bangs on the metal border fence. Listen to that. That's a solid wall. It's a wall that kills your dreams. It takes away everything. I told myself that when I climbed over this wall, I would leave my past behind. I would be reborn. I ask her what she thinks as she looks through the fence to California. The United States, it's so close that I can't get there. Look, that's California, but I can't be there. One day I will. It might be 2050 or 2100, but I will get there. We walk down to where the fence stretches into the Pacific, to a mural somebody's painted. It says, you are the other me. It means you, the person on the other side of the border. You are my reflection. You are the other me. We're both human. Both have the same feelings. The only difference between us, Luna says, is that you get to live and be who you are on the other side. That trip about a year ago was the last time I saw Luna. When COVID-19 hit, she left me a voicemail that she planned to shelter in place with a friend outside of Ensenada. We chatted a bit about the COVID outbreak at Otay Mesa, where she was detained the year before. Among ICE detention centers, it turned out to have one of the biggest outbreaks of COVID. In fact, the first detainee in ICE custody to die of it died there. Hearing that, I felt relieved that Luna was far away from detention, that ironically, being deported may have saved her life. On the other hand, if she were still in detention, she might have been released, as some other transgender detainees have been, to avoid the risk of getting coronavirus. And then I started to see the headlines about cases in Tijuana, the lack of respirators, the huge number of vulnerable migrants. And I got that phone call that Luna had COVID. Then, as it's done so many times over the last two years, my WhatsApp feed with Luna went quiet for weeks. I tried to call the public hospital in Tijuana to track her down, but I couldn't get through. But a few weeks later, Luna left me another message from her hospital bed. Hola, Sasha. ¿Cómo estás? They took her off the vent. Oh, God. I thought I was going to die. 
But nope. This bitch, Luna. She's still here. Resisting everything. I know this mother virus isn't going to kill me. I've got a lot more life in me. A lot I still want to say. I don't need a ventilator because I'm a strong-ass woman. I've made it through everything. I'm going to make it through this. I'm still here. That was Luna Guzman. I co-reported this documentary about her with photographer and journalist Aaron Siegel McIntyre. You can see Aaron's photos and video of Luna at our website, californiareport.org. Luna's words in English were performed by pioneering trans actress Zoe Luna, who found her way to Hollywood after appearing in an HBO documentary about her own quinceañera. You can catch her starring in the new movie, The Craft, Legacy. This project was supported by a grant from the International Women's Media Foundation. Their Reporting Grants for Women's Stories program is funded by the Secular Society. This story was edited by the California Report's senior editor, Victoria Maldeon. Sound design and engineering by Rob Spate and Brendan Willard. Our director is Amanda Font, and our intern is Ariela Markowitz. Special thanks to April Demboski, Farida Javala Romero, Bea Gallardo, Taiki Hendricks, Erica Cruz Guevara, Julia McAvoy, Susie Racho, Adi Perez, Sandia Dirks, Monica Lamb, Anna Vignier, and Joan Martinez for their editorial input on this story. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.